Hello and welcome to episode 82 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, the aspiring spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Everett Mohan, also known on Twitch as Aspiring Spike. I'm down here in Texas and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado is the one and only Shane Beeps. Everett, I'm glad that we could have you back on the pod. You're like, you're basically the fourth host at this point. I know you don't have to accept that mantle, but I've bestowed it upon you. I'll accept it. Uh, this is uh, this is a great vacation. Love coming here. My home away from home. <laughs> and also on the line with us is the deep fried calzone, Stanislav. I don't know why he is the deep fried calzone, but he is on the line nonetheless. Well, fun fact, uh, this is a little bit of MTG history. I'm the reason that the Ponza deck is called Ponza. <laughs> I brewed it 20 years ago over at Jimmy's Grotto in Wisconsin while eating a deep fried calzone. Okay, and I don't see the name Ponza in deep fried calzone. What's the, how do you, how, what's, where's the leap? How do you get to Ponza from there? So Jimmy's Grotto uh, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, it's just like a little pizza stand and they have a dish. It's literally a deep fried calzone that they call the Ponza Roddy. That's awesome. And as you know, the Ponza deck green red so while i yeah while i have you here is the green red deck in modern right now is it ponza is it mid-range is it green red mid-range why not both thank that that's a, that's a great answer i feel like it's it's definitely a green red i think it's ponza for sure it's a green red deck that interacts with moon and land destruction spells i've been calling it green moon lately just because like i used to play blue moon that's a that's a good that's a good name i like it any Blood Moon deck should have Moon in it, I think. I mean, well, it is, it's it's green in 2020, so it can just do anything it wants. Green can, make, green can make any color of the color pie. It should have every aspect of the color pie, right? Yeah. Cart draw, exile effects. What uh, else? Uh, counter card spells. Filtering. Card filtering, counter spells. Direct damage. It's perfect. Yeah, direct damage. Everett, always great to have you on the pod. Happy to see you again. Glad to be on. On this week's episode, we react to Monday's B&R announcement and start to break down how these changes to our favorite formats will impact Modern and the other one moving forward. <laughs> the format that shall not be named. <laughs> then, of course, friend of the show Everett joins us for a conversation on playing Control and some of his recent observations testing with Izzet and Demir decks in Modern. But first, it's housekeeping. Want to thank Grant R for their in, uh, increasing their tier in the Dive Down Nation and also Soul Pilgrim for their new review on Apple Podcast. We appreciate that all the way from America's Hat Canada. So thanks for listening. I don't, I mean, I'm glad the bits can traverse all the way up there. Appreciate that review, Soul Pilgrim. You know, we, we just mentioned that you know, Grant R. increased their tier in the Patreon. If you want to check out our Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash the dive down. And what you can find there is different ways to separate your money from yourself and give it to us because you like our podcast. And then we provide things to you like getting you in the Slack getting some pins, some tokens, some stickers, signed dive down card, maybe even a play mat. We are we steadily we hover. Okay, so we've been hovering at about you know four fifths of the way to our our deck box, right? And so we we want to hit the stretch goal of the deck box. A lot of people are waiting for the deck box. If you sign up, you're moving us towards the sweet sweet deck box which we are very much looking forward to making. So if you don't want to, that's cool. 
we're still here. If you want to support somebody else, that's cool. If you want to, if you want to subscribe to Aspiring Spike every month instead of us, that is dope because he's here once a month. So he deserves it. I don't recommend doing that. Give your money to the dive down. Also, if you'd like to support the show while playing Magic, you can check out Mana Traders to use their Magic Online rental service. They have lots of different tiers so that you can rent decks across various formats, whether it's Modern, the other one, if you want to play Standard on MTGO, Legacy, Commander, Popper, or Penny Dreadful, uh, Freeform, I think that's a, a format. Check that out at manatraders.com. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first three months of Manatrader service. We also get a little kickback. We always appreciate when people use that promo code. So if you have, thank you. If you're planning on doing it, thank you in advance. All right. All that nonsense out of the way. Let's talk about what everyone's here for, including Everett, and that is the banning announcements that happened in four formats. So Historic, Modern, The Other One, and Pauper. So let's, let's, let's open up this announcement, y'all. Okay, I've got it open. So in Modern, we have Arkham's Astrolabe is banned. In Pioneer, we have Oath of Nyssa is unbanned. The end. Full stop. Okay, so I mentioned that Pauper banning, and I'm actually going to want to discuss that a little bit later on too because the rationale that wizards provides for this popper banning is pretty interesting to me when you compare it to their actions or lack of actions perhaps in pioneer so everett stan let's talk about the changes in these two formats let's analyze the arguments that watsi provides the rationales they provide for these changes so let's start with arkham's astrolabe i know this is a card nearer and dearer to probably both of your hearts than mine. This is not my style of card. I don't play the style of deck in Modern, but so here's what they say. Watsi. Over the past several months of Modern's metagame, we have seen a rise in popularity and win rate of multicolored decks using Arkham's Astrolabe, with some variants approaching 55% non-mirror match win rate. While these decks have taken on several different forms, their common game plan is using Arkham's Astrolabe to play powerful cards across several colors. As a result, Arkham's Astrolabe has become one of the most played cards in Modern. Okay. So one thing I want to point out, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, some variants approaching 55% non-mirror match win rate, okay? So let's, let's, let's put that on the whiteboard for a future discussion, okay? There's nothing intrinsically bad about multicolored good stuff decks having a place in the metagame. Their power and flexibility is usually counterbalanced by making concessions in their mana bases, often through lands that enter the battlefield tapped, cost life, involve some other deck building restriction, Arkham's Astrolabe makes this trade-off come at too low of a cost. So that can mean excellent mana for us, the game without costing a card even, all right? So um, also it has synergy with being an artifact, can be blinked, blah, blah, blah. It adds too much to these decks for too little cost, resulting in win rates that are unhealthy and unsustainable for the metagame. Okay, so let's compare this really quickly. Unhealthy and unsustainable for the metagame, approaching 55%. Therefore, Arkham's Astrolabe is banned in Modern. Give me your takes. Give me your takes on this. Uh, this is the exact change I wanted to have happen in Modern. I'm happy that this is what happened. I think the second paragraph is really the meat of the issue. Um, I, I don't think... What, what I should probably say is I think Modern has been diverse and fun and healthy for a while. 
I do think that these blue three color blue green X control decks have been a little too good recently. And I do think the most problematic card is Arkham's Astrolabe. It is, I think, too efficient of an enabler. It is very innocuous in what it does. It's a very difficult card to evaluate, but the mana base is perfect. The mana base is costs very little life, and they also get to play a three-color deck with Field of Ruin. It's it's just a little too good. Yeah, I mean, it's so innocuous. We've talked about this, but we didn't even consider it as a good card in our full uh, Modern Horizon set review. We just were like, okay, it's a cool, cool card. And as our listeners know, we never fail in card evaluation. No. We are perfect. Evaluating cards is really hard, and I I don't... I mean, I'm sure there was somebody that knew Astrolabe was incredibly good, but it's just a one-mana prophetic prism, and sometimes when you cut a card's cost in half, that's really, really good. Yeah, so you're you're kind of on the... of the opinion that Astrolabe is just kind of the, the piece of the puzzle, like just the piece right in the middle of the puzzle of all these powerful cards and powerful lands and things like that. Yes, especially because it is the card that ties them all together and really helps them all work in the same deck. You know, it's it's I, I think I think it really makes sense to ban Astrolabe before you look at banning a card like Mystic Sanctuary because Astrolabe really expands what's possible with Mystic Sanctuary. So I'd like to see that gone before you take another look at it. It also, you know, it makes it harder to include black, white, or red on turn one for your removal spell, triple blue for Archmage Charm, blue, 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 one for Cryptic Command, green, green, blue, blue for Escaped Uro. It, 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 and while playing Field of Ruin, that's just not really... It's, it's If you're going to do that, you're going to have to pay more life to do so now, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at modern deck lists, and I was like, I mean, there's, there's plenty of three-color decks in modern, and... You know they, they 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 do take the the pain from their fetches and shocks and whatnot. And then I was looking at all the decks, and I was like, "Wow, there's really not that many right now." Besides Jund, which is always going to stick around, and that's mana and, ba- their mana base is very painful, oh, very painful, yeah. right? And so the check on Jund is like sometimes you can go under it, or like if you go wide enough, and their one for ones can't really keep up. And so yeah, it's like you know you're seeing these three color control decks at the top of the meta, and yeah, their mana base is just great. What about you, Stan? How are you feeling about this? I was very nervous ahead of the BNR. I had more anxiety in the last week than I've ever had in the days prior to a BNR because I was genuinely scared that they would get rid of Mystic Sanctuary, a card that I love. And when they only got rid of Astrolabe, I was very relieved in general, I agree with with your takes, Everett. Like, is a very powerful, consistent enabler that, like, technically had no cost in playing it. It was it was free, and it kind of reminds me of like Git Probe and Faithless Looting, and that it just like it's a very powerful enabler that sets the Astrolabe decks apart from basically anyone who doesn't play Astrolabe. I will say, like, I felt like it was a somewhat conservative move, just taking taking out this one card. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't get rid of Sanctuary. I wonder if they looked at Uro. I feel like those three cards were definitely in the crosshairs leading up to this week. I agree. I think it was those three and potentially Veil of Summer too. Yeah. So, you know, on last week's episode, we were talking about how much we liked Modern right now. How even though this card, obviously super powerful, Bant Snow 
definitely tier one, clearly one of the best decks in the format. It didn't feel like it was so far and ahead the best deck in the format that like we were in a Hogak situation where you had to main deck surgicals or other counterplay. So as far as super powerful cards and decks go, this one was like, it makes sense. I'm glad that they didn't, you know, burn it all down, at least in modern. And I'm excited to see kind of what happens in the shakeup. I feel like modern is just going to be super familiar moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be that different. I think you can still play these three color uh, control decks if you want to. You can play two color. You can play the deck you are already playing. Um, and I think that's good. I think modern has been healthy. I think these Uro uh, Astrolabe decks did need a nerf and they got one. And I think I'm optimistic going forward in modern. Yeah, that's probably good, right? Like they're 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 saying this deck is sort of around fifty five percent. Let's take it down a notch. I think that we've historically seen that like forty like forty five to fifty five percent is where they want most decks to be performing, and this sort of keeps us in check, right? Stan, I think one thing that you were nervous about too was potential unbans and like oh, yeah. potentially dangerous unbans. <laughs> oh in, yeah, in in my opinion at least. And let's talk about that really briefly because that's. That's just theory crafting at this point. Was there anything that you think was safe or was interesting and safe to unban that people were expecting? You know, people were expecting or at least hoping for, as usual, Splinter Twin and or even something more dramatic like Birthing Pod. I say this. I've got to build up my credibility here. I bought into Splinter Twin and I played one FNM with it before it was banned. I love the deck to death. I thought at the time it was a mistake to ban it. Uh, but now that Splinter Twin could play Veil of Summer, Mystic Sanctuary, Force of Negation, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Teferi, Time Raveler, even Magmatic Sinkhole, I think is like a pretty big upgrade for Twin. I think Twin in its old form would be fine for Modern. Twin in its new current form with all these new tools, I think would be too good. I think that there it would have bad matchups, but it would really be incredibly effective against basically every linear strategy in the format. And... There's lots of people who love their linear decks in Modern, and as much as I want Splinter Twin to be healthy for the format, I just don't think it is. Um, I would love to be wrong about that, and I've been wrong about things before, but I, I don't think I am. Yeah, the potential for a Twin unbanned was one of the things that gave me anxiety, because I thought that would just dramatically impact the Modern format in a way that would be less fun, in my opinion. Uh, it would just create this new tier one deck that everyone would have to be prepared for. And I'm not sure that's exactly what we want to do with the Banhammer. I will say, you know, in the days leading up to the announcement, people in the Slack were talking about Pod being safe to unban and listed a lot of reasons why that was the case. And I started to buy into that, that like maybe in this day and age with like Collector Oof and Force of Vigor and Karn and like all these other great versatile artifact hate cards um and and uh you know cards that impact like creature toolbox strategies mm -hmm. that force of, force of negation is a big one too totally yeah so i i figured maybe pod was uh on on its I, way I, out I, I, I think pod is a is a, also a maybe um but, but while there are lots of cards that certainly do nerf pod more than it, in the past there's also like you know now the yogmoth combo is a, is a is a deck that fits really well with the pod combo now you have devoted druid vizier of remedies um you have a lot more, uh, you also in that deck, you have a lot more toys to play with. And so, you know, I Wizards in, has done, I think, a pretty good job, except for Golgari Grave Troll, of unbanning cards when they're safe to unban. Um, 
I think besides Golgari, Grave Troll, Splinter Twin, Ancestral Visions, Wild Nakatl, Stoneforce Mystic, Jace, Bloodbraid Elf, all of these were really good unbans, and I have a lot of confidence that when and if Wizards unbans either Potter Twin, it'll be the right time, and I currently don't think it's the right time. So let's get to the potentially spicier meatball, and that is the Oath of Nyssa unban. So let's talk about uh, Watsi's rationale here. So they just basically said early in the launch window of Pioneer, various green ramp decks were among the most popular and successful. And so in order to reduce the consistency of those decks, we added Oath of Nyssa to the ban list early on. Since that time, other cards used by the ramp decks have been banned, including Once Upon a Time, Veil of Summer, Oko Thief of Crowns, and... The metagame is now in a place where we feel that unbanning Oath of Nyssa is a reasonable step to take as far as adding some power back to Nykthos, Shrine of Nyx, Ramps decks, and other archetypes that revolve around key creatures, lands, or planeswalkers. Okay, give me some takes. On just um, the unban. Just, on just the unban, I think the un this unban is fine. I like it because I like to play the mono green Karn deck in Pioneer, so I'm excited to play that, maybe. Um, I it, it was it was always weird when Oath of Nyssa was banned because it was very good in the Mono Green Devotion deck and very good in the four color copycat deck and I believe in that same announcement they banned Leyline of Abundance and they banned Feldar Guardian and so the two to the two decks that uh, Oath of Nyssa was really good in they both got nerfed in the same ban announcement and I I, I kind of always felt like Oath of Nyssa being banned maybe never should have happened. Yeah, it was kind of like the card that was just not in print at the time, right? And it's like, we can we can sort of say we're, we're hitting Saheli Rai and we're hitting Green Devotion and we're not removing Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time is such a hard card to evaluate too. I mean, it's one of those things that everyone was like, yeah, this card's crazy because it's free. But then when you, when you see the level of consistency that it added to decks, it was just bonkers. For sure. But it, it, it was it was also like bad to draw, you know, after yes. it was bad to draw two copies of it. It was it was so I think if it saw like three or four cards, it would have been potentially fine. Yeah, like yeah, like just yeah, tone it down a bit, like yeah. make it sort of like an oath of Nissa level of digging. Mm -hmm. But that's that's sort of off trap, I guess. Stan, initial take on this unban here. I'm a little nervous that by unbanning Oath of Nyssa, they're just adding another combo deck into the format. I've, I've heard that complaint, the Kethus combo. Uh, I have played against Kethus combo with the Oath of Nyssa, you know, being in the deck in the past, and I've never been in any way impressed by it. But but that's just, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe that's just a small sample size, but I, I'm not very worried about it personally. What's interesting about the Kethus combo, not to interrupt you, Stan, is that the similar types of hate to the Breach decks also hit the Kethus combo because it relies on the graveyard. So it's not lights out by any means, um, but it's you know it's it uses a similar axis and a similar zone, unlike something like Inverter, which effectively uses no zones to to get things going. But go on about uh, the Oath of Nyssa stuff, Stan. Well, all I really want from Watsi's power with the, the Banhammer is to open up formats and to introduce new decks, allow other decks that maybe are on the fringes to maybe be more viable. And although at the time of unbanning, so what we're like the day after things have unbanned, the ruling hasn't gone into effect in MTGO yet. So I haven't seen the type of testing that's going on. 
I'm still a little skeptical that that's what's going to happen. Uh, I hope, obviously, that that's not the case, that Pioneer is, in fact, like, opened up a little bit and blossoms after, like, what we've been dealing with over the last few months. Uh, but quite frankly, I think I have more feelings about the lack of bans in Pioneer than the yeah. single unban. I mean, trust me, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm, just, right, trying, good. I'm just trying. I'm. I'm just trying to be patient. <laughs> be patient. Yeah, I think it'd be easy to forget about both of Nissa if we just started talking about the lack of bands. <laughs> I mean, like Oath of Nissa. I said it last week. I thought it was like probably a, a fine card to be unbanned. You totally like, called it, it, Shane. I'm, I'm I mean, so impressed. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel great about it. But, like, what is this card actually really doing for the format? Like, it's not even an, an auto-include in-green devotion, I don't think. Maybe you disagree, Everett. But, I mean, what other... like? The, so they're saying, like, we want to give archetypes that revolve around key creatures, lands, and planeswalkers some power back. But I'm trying to really think about what decks those would be besides like something like a Kethis combo or a mono green devotion or you, but like, it doesn't, it's not like once upon a time. Right. And it shouldn't be because you're looking for that mana dork for free in your green creature based deck or your green ramp based deck. You're not losing any tempo by doing that. But when you're playing oath of Nyssa on turn one, you're not getting anything out of it. Like you're getting the card, but you're not getting ramp effectively. Like you're getting sort of like, yeah, this is going to be another pip for my Nykthos later on and it helps you find your nickthos which is great right um but i do i do fear like what you said stan is like you know maybe maybe it just adds to kethis too much but i think that like everett said i might be a little bit overblown because people are just so afraid of a bad decision being made and it seems like a bad decision so let's just pile on and add more parts to that bad decision so no bannings in pioneer so let's look at what Wizard says about no bannings. We are otherwise generally happy with the shape of the metagame in Pioneer. With the most played decks, each having strengths and weaknesses against each other, we're keeping an eye on the populations of combo decks in the environment. Although the perception that combo decks have dominant win rates isn't backed up by Magic Online play data, we are also seeing a variety of lesser played decks having success, which indicates that the metagame may continue to shift. Okay. This rationale, what do you think about this rationale? So while my own perception and experience with the Pioneer format disagrees with what Watsi is saying, it you, you, it, you, you probably have to play devil's advocate to some degree and say that they do have data that we don't have. But at the same time, premier events, Pioneer challenges are not firing. People are not playing the highest level of Pioneer um, they're playing league play where they might just be playing decks they want to. I feel like there probably just isn't nearly enough data to to even you know come to a conclusion like that. I think I think uh, Pioneer Cast said something like fifteen percent of the premier events have fired over the last two months or something like that, or just and, is. And that's with you know the few grinders that love the format just begging people on twitter i've 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 been sitting in the challenges just because people have asked me to just trying to help it fire and does that 15 percent include preliminaries that aren't firing as well uh, i don't know um maybe maybe for sure Everett, yeah. I, I have a question for you that you may have a little insight on do you think people who are great with inverter breacher heliod do you think they're able to essentially farm tickets in the leagues and that's yeah. one of the reasons why they might keep playing the format even if it is potentially unhealthy i i do think that 
yes, they probably have a much higher win rate than people who are not absolute masters with the deck. I think specifically Inverter and Lotus Breach masters uh, probably have amazing win rates. And I think both decks are incredibly difficult to play. And, you know, when you're playing in a league with someone who isn't, a, you know, a master of this deck, you know, those win rates aren't going to be the same as when you're playing these premier events against, you know, Canister, who plays Inverter every single weekend. Uh, I, I don't think that they necessarily play the decks because they want the tickets. I'm sure some people do. I know that there there are people who like Pioneer. There are people who enjoy the metagame right now. And it's I think it's easy to sit here with our different opinions and discredit them or discount that. But everybody has a different view of what they want Magic to be and what they view as fun. Um, and I think I have not in, I've had fun in Pioneer for a long time. And I think myself and the majority of the Pioneer player base was hoping for bands to shake things up to how pioneer was before theros came out yeah you know before theros came out that the the weekly bands were in effect i think it ended like two weeks before theros came out um and the format was dynamic and changing from week to week and new decks were evolving and then heliod walking blista uh lotus breach uh uh field combo thassa's oracle and uro really homogenized the format you know those four cards have been at the top of the format ever since they came out and all of them are difficult to interact with and really change the entire landscape of the format from being grindy play to the board kind of a best of standard to these cards are better than anything else the format is doing I do like this one line in their rationale for no bannings, which is that we are also seeing a variety of lesser played decks having success, which indicates that the metagame might continue to shift. And, and you know, this reminds me that legend has it that there are these good to great pioneer decks that just haven't been widely adopted yet. And I'm here today to say that I'm going to make it my personal mission to find these strategies, bring them back to a museum and put them on display for everyone to see. Man, I would love to know what decks they're talking about. Maybe this is just like this is like real pioneers at first. There's huge, <laughs> huge populations of people going out west, and the population shrinks and shrinks until only the strongest pioneers survive, and they make <laughs> it to California. This is, this is just exactly what Wizards intended by naming it Pioneer. <laughs> so, okay, I, I have a I have a lot. I want to I want to in this section I'm going to be breaking down kind of like what wizards said in different parts of this and and this section for the listeners this is called shane's rant zone so this is going to be like the, the 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 tamest rant okay like i'm not i'm not going to go off the rails i i want to give you uh both some opportunity to to butt in and and you know check me on this stuff but i really this this ban announcement it's it doesn't frustrate me only because of the fact that inverter is still around it frustrates me because of the incongruous nature of various statements that were made in it and how it doesn't really give us any insight into decision making process and the decision making process and how what we can expect for the future of not only pioneer but any band change made to any formats that we like playing and that's a level, that's an area of frustration for me because if there's anything that you want from a banning is, is an understanding of why it happened, right? And an understanding of why it didn't happen. And for that to make sense to the wider, the most, the, the, the most people involved in the game as, po as possible, right? So dig it to the point. 
Um, I feel that they use like three separate arguments to defend their choices in in, in pioneer, modern, and pauper. And I'm, I'm not talking about historic here, even though they did offer plenty of rationale in, in those formats. But pioneer, modern, and pauper were, were three very distinct separate rationales, and they don't have a consistent point of view in how they're approaching these modifications to their formats, right? So let's go back to the modern thing I mentioned, right? Some variants of snow decks approach 55% win rates. And Astrolabe is like one of the most played cards in modern. It results in win rates that are unhealthy and unsustainable. So note that you know, they chose to not state, not necessarily ignore, but they didn't state the names Urza, Uro, Vale of Summer, Aether Gust. They, they very directly indicated that they believe Astrolabe makes these decks have these, quote, unsustainable win rates, right? Um, in, in previous BNR announcements, we've seen win rates higher than just approaching 55% as well. It's like, you know, we're like 58% or something like that. I, I agree that the 55% number is really confusing and it, it certainly stands out in the, in this announcement. And I, you know, and they say that in the non mirror match matchups, and I'm very, very curious. Does that mean that if a Bant snow faces Sultai snow or if Sultai snow faces teamer snow <laughs> are those mirror matches? And I, I know that's kind of funny, but you know, I played the challenge this weekend. I played against six out of seven, or it was two weekends ago. Six out of seven were snow control decks, three color ones. So I, th it, it, it's my opinion that because there's so many variants, it, it almost feels like that this number is technically true, but because there's so many different variations of what is essentially blue, green X control with Astrolabe, this 55% number would be higher, but isn't, wouldn't it be true to be higher if you just discounted that? And that's what I'm interpreting, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, so the defense of the ban here in Modern is it's one of the most played cards, it's too free to include, and results in some decks with win rates approaching 55%. And so like I said before, so that this is that's not necessarily a win rate that we've seen provoke a ban so it's maybe just the, the, the combination of all these factors, right? But let's move on to Popper. Tron decks. Have you, so in, in Popper, they banned um, Expedition Map and Mystic Sanctuary. And the Expedition Map ban is due to Tron decks. And so they say Tron decks have remained steadily popular. Okay, so Tron decks have remained steadily popular and strong, sometimes nearing 25% of the field among top finishing decks in Magic Online Popper tournaments. I don't know where we've seen another deck nearing 25% of the field among top finishing decks in another format, but I'll go on. This, this trend, in combination with community feedback, has prompted us, in combination with community feedback, has prompted us to take a look at the role of Tron decks in the Popper metagame. While it can be a good thing, in all caps, a good thing, for metagame diversity to have an archetype that plays differently from many other strategies. I don't know where, what deck you'd say placed ever than many other strategies in Pioneer, but I'll keep going. We are seeing some negative effects in terms of repetitive gameplay, recursive play patterns, and lock states. This puts pressure on other decks to be able to deal with such game states or else race the Tron decks and generally restricts viable deck building space. This entire paragraph could have had the word Popper replaced with Pioneer and the word Tron replaced with Inverter. Straight up. 
Inverters, 25% of the competitive metagame. It plays differently from other strategies as repetitive gameplay and as lock states, aka the combo win state. It puts pressure on other decks to be able to deal with it. The only other decks that even can think about dealing with Inverter are things like Breach, which is combo, Mono Black, which is disruptive aggro, Spirits, which is disruptive aggro, and Mono Red, which is main decking four ass zealots, which is a sign of a skewed metagame right now. Like, let's look at the recent top eight from the Showcase Challenge. It's actually fired. It requires, this is the one that requires uh, qualifying points to enter. It had, the top eight had five inverter or breach, okay? The top 32 was 10 inverter, six mono black and two more mono black vamps, five breach, two five color niv and a bunch of other, and, and a few other one ofs. So we had this, like this, this is not like, so inverter was more than 25%. It was nearing 31%. 30%. Yeah. Just past 30%. I would like to say that I think this tournament is probably one of the best indicators of what the pioneer competitive meta looks like because yeah. we have such a small sample size. And I think the league play is probably not very reflective of what like a big high stakes pioneer tournament would look like. This, this tournament is probably very good to look at for wizards. I, I don't know. Um, it's possible that they had already made their decision uh, before the, you know, this event ended. Cause I think it happened like Sunday and oh, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. it did, but, but like, yeah, you know, it's just it's just another indication yeah. of what we've already seen. Like you know, in our breakdowns over the past months, you know, we've we've seen inverter at twenty to twenty five percent of the competitive you know medic top thirty twos. So this is not new. Oh wait, hold on. There's a Boros heroic deck as a one of the top thirty two. Oh, yeah. prob- yeah. It's probably the lesser known decks that they're seeing high win rates. Ooh, with. We found one. Yeah, we got one. I mean, there's that cool black red like discard recursion deck that's probably pretty rad maybe right now it's it's getting 60 percent. who knows yeah so okay what do you think about that take like do you think that that is that is an honest reassessment of that paragraph that you know the argument they're making for pauper is essentially one that they didn't make for pioneer i i do think that that's a fair assessment um it's, it's probably Band philosophies are so hard to have. They're really, really hard to have. I, I think for the longest time I have been with Wizards and only choosing to ban decks based on uh, representation and win percentage because the community as a whole seems very divided on what does or does not constitute healthy and fun play patterns. Um, for the longest time, especially like in the 2019 era with Hogak and Oko and Once Upon a Time, you know, there was so much... You know, it feel it feel really felt like the community was divided, and I liked Wizards' kind of more firm, um, unattached approach to to banning. Yeah, that wasn't sentiment; it was facts. Yes, it was stats. Yes, um, and so I I wonder if you could have different ban philosophies for different formats based on the types of players that enjoy those formats and. You know, this is something that is very nuanced and you're going to make somebody upset no matter what philosophy you choose to employ. And I think the the, the ultimate goal for any ban or unban is to make the format good in the long run because any ban or unban is, or I guess any ban is going to hurt people in the short run. And, And I think that nuanced approach already exists with Commander where you have a totally separate committee deciding what is or isn't legal in the Commander format. Uh, uh, That's, that's a whole other kind of worms. Yeah. I, uh, so what I, what I want to point out is, you know, they didn't mention win rates 
anywhere mm-hmm. in the in the popper announcement they they focused on the metagame percentage they focused on community sentiment they said it was too popular that people didn't like it that it made it put pressure on other decks to be prepared for it it put it had repetitive gameplay so nothing about win rates here but let's let's so let's get into the pioneer nuance here it, so they one of the thing they said is in addition the release of new sets has added power to other archetypes and generally expanded possibilities for deck building which I see is basically like a lie. Like I think that new sets have effectively reduced possibilities because they're restricting the power into a more consolidated metagame where like the most powerful decks are are clearly defined. And so yeah, sure, you can more cards always expands possibilities for deck building, but what about competitive deck building or viable deck building? I don't think that's really accurate. So going on to this statement about being happy with the state of the metagame with decks having strengths and weaknesses, keeping an eye on the population of combo decks in the environment. Although the perception of combo decks isn't backed up by magic online data and the lesser played decks having success right here. So this argument here to me is very unaligned with the ones they made for modern and pauper, right? So the population of combo decks in pioneer is really over 25%. And the grouping of decks into combo decks is also kind of a flawed and somewhat lazy approach because Breach doesn't play like Inverter. And if you consider Heliod a combo deck, that also doesn't play like those decks at all. Yeah, all, all the cards you have to hate out in very different ways, which is one of the the toughest thing about it. They both interact with the game in very unique ways that's not interacted with with usual removal spells and even against uh, Lotus Field, Lotus Field is a Storm-style combo deck that is very good against discard spells and counter spells. Just stomps control. Just couldn't, you know, very, very good against counter spells. And I think that that, for a format like Pioneer, that's always been a big problem for me. So I find the argument sort of bizarre even to make in the first place, like the population of combo decks in the environment, because people aren't, people don't group those together in their actual play and the way, like you said, is the way they fight against them. So it's sort of disingenuous to just say like, hey, combo decks aren't that big of a part of the meta, even though they are. And they also just are different decks. And people I think would be very happy just with the banning of Inverter because then they could focus on the narrower hate required for things like Breach, things like Heliod, and potentially things like Kethis, right? I agree, especially just because specifically Inverter, there just aren't very many cards that are good against the combo. There's like Nimble Obstructionist, Gideon's Intervention, kind of narrow cards that, you know, get thought seized. Um, you know, you, there's there's no Torpor Orb in Pioneer, and you can say, I'll just play Takali Honor Guard and have it yeah. die to Fatal Push. Exactly, right? Yeah, the, the Hate Bears do not do very well against Inverter, typically. So... Here's my here's my issue though, right? Is the they say it's not backed up by play data, right? Like this is their big thing in Pioneer, is that hey, you might think that Inverter is a really good deck, and you might think that Lotus Breach is a really good deck, and it's it's morphing the meta around it and causing lace issues. But don't worry, play data says it doesn't matter. Play data says it's it's a okay, right? This statement doesn't matter because perception is reality right 
So like you can't just tell say, hey, everyone who hates the meta so much that our events aren't firing like 80% of the time, it's totally okay. Statistically, it's fine. <laughs> like you'd think that the the bean counters would care a lot more about people not putting their, their 30 ticks or however much it costs to enter these events than the 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 factual win rate versus the perceived win rate or the perceived enjoyment of the gameplay, right? So it's, an, it's, it's even more of an absurd argument to have when later in your own announcement in the popper section, you're just referencing metagame percentage and you're referencing player sentiment, why other bans were made, right? And so, and then following that up with like the, hey, everybody, maybe just try playing some other lesser played decks. It's just like a total kick in the pants because it's just like, you're not clever enough to fight the meta that you've been trying to fight for five, six months. And that's just like another area of frustration, right? It's like, uh, and, then, and then you look at this last paragraph in the modern section. We're keeping an eye on Arkham's Astrolabe and Legacy for similar reasons. Although at present, the play rates and win rates of Arkham's Astrolabe don't warrant action. We're aware of concerns among the Legacy community on this point, but we want to be consistent with our philosophy of only resorting to bans when a card or deck reaches problematic win rates that can't be solved by natural metagame forces. What natural metagame forces are you still thinking can be put into action in Pioneer? It's not anyone playing anything with Oath of Nyssa. It's been six months of Inverter at like this extremely high metagame percentage. It's an impressive part of the meta, and even more so as part of the competitive meta. And if your competitive events aren't firing and no one wants to play the format, no one's going to create some metagame force to tilt things back in a way that they consider reasonable and fun. And that's just, this is my fundamental frustration. I, I, I agree. I agree. And you, you, you summarize pretty clearly my feelings on the, the matter as well. Like while I think that it's good to have a more detached approach, cause there's a lot of, you know, disagreement with what is or isn't, a fun format and I don't want to discredit people who do like the current state of pioneer, but I think the vast majority of people who enjoyed pioneer and wanted to enjoy pioneer no longer have very much interest in the format because of inverter and Lotus breach specifically um, more so inverter probably, but I, you know, I, I think that it, it does feel like there's some disconnect or some, just I mean, it feels with, like it's written by three different people, right? You know, it, it, it probably is. I, I would imagine that Wizards has people in charge of the band announcements for different formats. And like maybe yeah. Ian Duke, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down. All of the, all of the, they have a day of a meeting, but they probably have people appointed to the head of the formats. And I don't think that that's an inherently bad thing. I think no, that, no. I think that people, you need people to be in tune with a format. And I do think different band philosophies for different formats make sense because different players go to them and i i think that this band announcement is out of touch if they want pioneer to be a format that people like and at the end of the day magic is a game and as you know it has to be fun on some level you know yeah. one of the one of the things the issues that i have with this too is like it doesn't help us understand wizard's goals and plans for this format for other formats necessarily. Like we can't really point to this and say, oh, we, we get what might inform a banning in the future, or we get what, 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 might, what might inform an unbanning. And without an understanding of the goals here 
and the plans here, it's really hard to want to invest time or invest money or invest your play time because you see the focus on something like historic, which you can just say, look, this is a similar format. Like it's not the same cards, but it's like a similar idea. It's a similar concept. I can play on arena and that's where I can play right now. I can get games in five seconds and I can play best of one if I want and just jam. Yeah, it's it seems hard for Magic to sustain both Historic and Pioneer. They feel very different, very similar spaces. Um, I I do think that Historic wouldn't exist if Arena could have immediately handled Pioneer, but you know the reality is that you know the client wasn't ready for it, so they needed something along the lines. Stan, you've you've been contemplating here for a while. Um, <laughs> I know you've got some. I know you're thinking. What are you thinking about? So, you know, you made this really interesting point uh, that I think gets to the heart of where I'm at right now. And, and you'd pointed out that one of the primary issues is that it doesn't really feel like WotC has a stated goal for Pioneer. Um, and, and that's the part that I generally find most heartbreaking because I don't think it's a lack of goal. To me, it just seems like they've abandoned whatever initial goals they had. You know, on, on last week's episode, I was talking about when they introduced the format, they introduced... Uh, initial tournament support. They said that, um, you know, certain cars are just banned out the gate and they kind of illustrated to us that they know how to introduce a format. They know how to generate interest and, and they have like some idea for the format's identity and philosophy, right? It's going to be the fetchless uh, non-rotating format to keep your standard cards playable, even if they don't get into modern. <clears throat> and it, it, it's just like, where is that philosophy now? What is the philosophy now? And and why has that philosophy changed if it has at all? Um, I don't fully understand why it's okay for them to just like not let tournaments fire, like you guys said. Um, and it's just like hard not to start to buy into like some of the tinfoil conspiracy theories that they want this format to die because I don't see a, a lot of interest in injecting interest into the format. You know, like if they're seeing tournaments not fired, that should be enough of a reason to tell people like, we want to see you play. We hear what you're saying. We want to make sure that we're keeping this interesting, especially when it's so young. Uh, and especially when they demonstrated in the early days that they were willing to ban aggressively. And it's just like every yeah. initial philosophy has just kind of gone out the window. And I don't think we have evidence that uh, the abdication of those philosophies were backed by anything positive. If anything, it seems like they were just backed by like an unwillingness to ban cards that were still in print and booster packs. Yeah, which is weird because it's not like it's not like Inverter is selling packs. You know, even even right now, I mean, we've moved on from from Theros, so it's not even like people are hunting for their Thassa's Oracle. Not that that even was an expensive card. Yeah, and and really the the position that I'm like swirling around internally these days is. If not for the podcast, I'm not entirely sure why I would want to play Pioneer or why anyone would want to play Pioneer. It feels to me like the main reasons to play Pioneer is either A, you're a master in one of these tier zero decks and you can you know farm tickets, so to speak, or B, you just love the format warts, warts and all and you want to keep playing it despite yeah. its problems. But, That's totally fair. But I don't hear from those people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't hear a lot of people saying like, oh, these decks are fine. I want to keep going. Everyone's being too hard on it. It feels like, you know, the majority of the players, at least the majority of vocal players are kind of aligned, but they're just very disconnected for whatever the philosophy is, if there even is one anymore. 
Yeah, I think it's very hard to get Magic players to agree on anything. And <laughs> there, there are a lot of good players who I do respect their opinions who say Pioneer is good right now, but I do think the majority of players agree with what you're saying, Stan. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm not ready to say that they want Pioneer to die, but I do think that they're making it very clear that if you want to play, if you do, if you want to play a competitive format beyond standard, start buying some cards on Arena and play Historic. I I I personally don't buy into the tinfoil hat theory that they just want to tank Pioneer. It just it doesn't make sense to me that any any strategy would be based around promoting disinterest to cancel a format. It just if that is their plan, it's a bad plan. But I think what Stan said is fair, right, too, which is just if you don't want people, it, like if you want to give people some kind of hope, give them some kind of light at the end of the tunnel, if you want to revive interest and say, hey, we've noticed that these events aren't firing. We've noticed that players in the league are down. We're making changes to re-inspire interest. They don't even have, they don't, they don't have to, and they've proven they don't have to, because they didn't in this announcement, they don't have to say this is based off of win rates alone. They can just say community sentiment and everyone would be totally fine with that. Totally. And and they don't even acknowledge that the tournaments aren't firing. Just, it, again, yeah. it's, it's that lack of acknowledgement that I just feel like they're just, they just kind of want to shoo us along. Maybe they, they want to push people toward arena. I get that. But it's not like they're trying to discourage us from playing modern. Like they're clearly making changes to modern still. Modern is still generating mm -hmm. tons of interest. Those challenges are firing. So I'm just confused. I, I all I want is another good non-rotating format to play. When for whatever reason I don't feel like playing modern, and for a long time Pioneer filled that yeah. hole, and it it did a really good job. And then something changed, and we're just out of sync with like the corporate powers that really control what the format is about. Can I recommend legacy to you, Stan? Oh man. Don't throw us on that road. If only there was like a good aggressive blue creature that, you know, synergized <laughs> well with like mid rangey spell decks. I feel like I could get into that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't think there's anything like that. Oh, bummer. Probably not, probably yeah, not for you. Not yeah. for me. Yeah. And no, there's, I mean, you also like land destruction. I don't think that's a legacy at all either. You know, land disruption, land destruction. Yeah, there's 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 just not a lot of interactivity. It's you know, very linear. Anytime I draw a hand with no lands in modern, I love to make manalist dredge jokes. So maybe now I could make those jokes a reality. I would not recommend playing manalist dredge. <laughs> it's so much worse than the LED dredge. It's just it's crazy how much worse it is. So we didn't actually talk about this too much in when we were talking about modern. And that is the impact on the format going forward. And maybe there's not that significant of an impact on modern. What do you all think is the kind of, you know, to the point, what's, what's the, what's the impact do you think in modern? Um, I, I think that it's going to be a healthy nerf towards blue control decks. And I think that the format is going to be very similar to what we've been seeing. And I think that that is a good thing. There has still been an ebb and flow of what is good and what isn't good um, in the last few months. And I, I li have liked Modern despite the Snow Decks dominance. And I, I haven't been playing with them. I've been playing against them. And I think I'm going to continue to like them going forward. Or continue to like Modern going forward. Yeah, I have an opinion on what some of the winners and losers are from, from the BNR. 
I, I tweeted this from the TDD account, but I feel like Eldrazitron actually kind of gets better after this because they have one less tier one deck to, to worry about. Um, you know, if Eldrazitron doesn't find their Cavern of Souls, like Counterspells was was a good way to deal with that deck. And, and they played four Fields of Ruin too to destroy the the caverns. Totally. I, I think uh, Blood Moon decks, in particular Ponza, gets better. Which is good against Eldrazitron, which is kind of to- interesting tension there. Totally, yeah. We get a little Paper, Scissor, Rock there. Just because, you know, playing Ponza, sometimes you'd be in this difficult situation where you have to decide whether you want to blow up the land or the Astrolabe, and it isn't always a clear-cut answer. And now you don't have to make that decision anymore. And, and just... You know, I'm it's so not, happy for you, Stan. It's not just Ponza, though. Like, any Blood Moon deck gets a little better because now people have to pay a cost to play aggressive mana bases. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the natural check, right? Is you can always say, oh, well, you want to play three colors. You want to play untapped lands. You're going to pay for it. And and now that's more back to the expectation and the reality of the situation. I wonder hey, I if... Go ahead. Sorry. I wonder if control kind of just goes back to playing Stoneforge as kind of I, your I, de facto aggressive finisher. I was playing that today, actually. I was playing Stoneforge Mystic with Shark Typhoon and slapping some sort of Feast and Famines on Shark Tokens, and it felt really, really good. Man, <laughs> yeah. you're naughty. Yeah, I um, I was going to get into that later, but I, rec- I oh, recommend sure it. We will. Yeah. Shark Blade is what we're calling it. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. Shark, Shark Blado? Um, that's actually pretty pretty nice you can steal it for free um appearance fee right there um (laughs) so yeah i mean i guess modern is probably going to stay really similar to like in my opinion right like you know like you said just going to take a little bit off the top of these these snow-based decks and i think everyone just everything just becomes a little bit uh better and more condensed around that 50 percent math magical mythical win rate i wonder if urza takes a big hit here you know, the Urza decks just keep losing something, whether it was Oko you know, or whatever. <laughs> so so I wonder if, like, we can still find a home for Urza-style uh, artifact-based decks, whether they have to go back to Emery or what. I wouldn't be surprised. I think Urza and Emery are both very powerful cards. You still have Bobble. Maybe you actually have to pay, play some artifact synergies, like the Thopter Sword combo. Maybe you have to main deck some more spell bombs, but I do not predict that Urza is now just a completely unplayable magic card. Um, if anything, I like that the Astrolabe ban is going to make the artifact deck probably more vulnerable to artifact hate. Um, that being said, I kind of might like a Mox Opal unban. I've kind of been Whoa. thinking. Yeah. That's an opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember back when they banned Opals because of the dominance of the Urza decks, and it really felt like Astrolabe yeah. or Opal could go. And astrolabe's gone i've always felt like astrolabe or opal is way easier to hate out because collector oof karn the great creator chalice of, Z- of the void on zero and sometimes you just draw two opals and opal is not even very good to draw you don't mind drawing four astrolabes yeah i mean but it also does play into some of those artifact combo decks where you can like loop opals and stuff like that which is well, not they, they, they banned kci i mean you yeah. could maybe unban kci be, i don't know I, I, I don't know that I necessarily support it, but I, I've been thinking I've been thinking that either KCI or the Artifact Lands or Opal could maybe come off if the Artifact decks just are nowhere at all. This is dangerous thinking, my friend. Um, so I think we talked a lot about Pioneer 
and and the future of Pioneer. But I guess to put a bow on it, I, d- I just feel like so maybe Oath of Nyssa adds something back to Green Devotion, maybe to some other decks in the format. Um, you know, maybe even something like a Traverse deck or something like that, right? Like maybe. Okay. Um, I don't think it's really shaking up the meta in any way. And I don't really know what Wizards expects to happen here. And um, yeah, I think I don't think things will be too drastically different. I think we might see a, a few people experimenting with, with Devotion, and I'm one of them. I still like playing the Devotion deck quite a bit. But yeah, I can't see anything tr- changing dramatically. And I'm curious to see if the uproar will just force their hand or if their lack of magic online income will also force their hand. Yeah, it's out of our control, I guess. Ah, so frustrating and sad. Whatever happens, though, we'll be here to talk about it <laughs> on the first Friday after the news hits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I mean, I think that's that's a solid amount of time on this. I think we, I'm glad we didn't get too negative, but um, I think that, yeah, we're not feeling super positive about Pioneer right now. I think we're all feeling good about where Modern is. I think the future of Modern is is going to be still great. There's so many cards and so many decks to uh, to play and enjoy, uh, and I hope that Pioneer can uh, once again be a format that comes close to that. So, all right, let's head on into the dive down. We're going to talk about uh, control fundamentals, control future, control decks, uh, shark sharknados, and shark blados. So, let's uh, let's do that. Stay with us. And we're back. Everett, a.k.a. Aspiring Spike, still with us. Did you enjoy your break? I did, yes. All right, great. So one of the reasons why we uh, wanted to have you on, not only just to hear your actions, not only because Dave is on vacation, but also because you caught my attention recently, as you so often do with, with your deck choices, but you were playing a deck that was very near and dear to my heart, which is uh, Blue Red, Blue Moon style Control. Um, so we wanted to ask you some questions about your latest testing with Control. Uh, I have some questions related to Blue Moon in particular. But first things first, like just to set the record straight, is it fair to say that you tend to lean toward Control strategies, especially in Modern? Uh, I like to play decks where I get to make a lot of decisions. So... I like storm decks. I I like soul herder decks. I like control decks for sure. Blue low to the ground tempo decks. Um, but yes, I would say that uh, I would say that I, I lean towards control, for sure. And and before we really get into like the nitty gritty about specific decks, we've talked about control on past episodes of the dive down, of course. And one of the ways that we sketched the plan for control games is, you know, you're attempting to disrupt your opponent's game plan long enough for you to establish near inevitability late in the game. So oftentimes the play pattern is like one for ones early on, whether it's removal or counter spells, and then eventually you kind of clear the way to land something like a planeswalker so that you can start two for one in your opponent. And you know, what people will sometimes call burying the opponent and card advantage where you just ultimately have so much optionality in your hand that no matter what they do, you have an answer and, and they can never recover. Hopefully somewhere along the way you, you find a threat, whether it's a planeswalker, a shark token, a germ. Some land you. that spits out tokens or something or 
draws cards. Do you think there's something missing from this description of like your average control strategy? Um, not necessarily. I think that this is probably a pretty genuine description of what you would describe the archetype of control as to someone who's not familiar. But I find that very rarely do control decks exactly fit this mold. Um, I think especially in recent times, we've seen that threats outweigh answers also in control decks, not only in mid-range or aggro decks. So less so of answering absolutely everything, you answer things until you get your extremely efficient threat into play, and then that draws you more cards than your opponent can deal with. And your threat is just more powerful than what your opponent's doing. But you're something you're talking about Uro. Your threat drawing cards. It could be or could be Uro. Uh, it's Uro definitely fits that mold, and I think that you know you could just get Uro going, and Uro is better than whatever your opponent's doing. So instead of playing a mid range deck that's all Uros, you're playing tons of re reactive spells, and you just have one thing that's your payoff. And I think that that doesn't quite quite fit this mold and i think that that has been characteristic of control decks i've chosen to play and control decks that most people have chosen to play for like the last few years yeah and and like obviously the the power level of control ebbs and flows over time in various formats whatever the metagame shifts dictate but control has been like at or near tier one in modern for like the better part of this year going into last year too do you think that's because of any one card or, you know, specific metagame forces? Um, not any one card. I think that it's a combination of a few things that work especially well together. Um, Force of Negation, I think, is a huge one. Uh, but also Archmage's Charm, Mystic Sanctuary are two cards that are fantastic for control decks alongside Force of Negation. And both of those cards really want you to play a ton of islands. And so that also allows cards like Counterbalance, Chase the Mind Sculptor, Deprive, if you want to play that, Cryptic Command, where you want to be playing a ton of islands to also be good. Um, and so it's, it's you know, that's not necessarily that any one card has been too powerful. It's just that the good control cards also just are very synergistic with each other, it seems. But they, they've gotten a ton of new tools. You know, even beyond what I just described, Uro, uh, Frantic Inventory, I think is good. Shark Typhoon is a huge sleeper. Um, Luca in Pioneer. Uh, yeah, uh, Boil is uh, great in control decks. It's really, really good. Um, oh, we'll talk about Boil. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I think is maybe not a bite-sized question, um, but what do you think are commonly misunderstood concepts for let's let's start with playing against control decks and maybe we can get back to playing with control decks like i think one of the and we talked about this i remember way back in our bonus episode interview ever which is like people playing against control decks often feel helpless and i'm included in that sometimes where it's just like man my opponent has it all and they're they're stopping everything i'm doing and if they're not i feel like i'm just playing my game and then they sweep everything away or I'm playing my game, and then they, they cast one spell that three-for-ones me, and I'm out of the game. So what do you think would be your primary recommendations to players that are playing against control decks? Maybe they're playing an aggressive deck or a linear deck. Like, 
are there things that they should be thinking about in, in their keeps or mulligan decisions or how can they play aggressively even into that potential sweeper or like what kind of things should they be trying to do maybe to bait out counter spells if at all, like what, what is like the philosophy that you will have as a linear deck player when you're playing against a control deck player? I think what matters more than anything else is experience. And I know that's not great advice for someone trying to learn how to win, but if you can understand what does and does not matter, what cards you should resolve, what types of games usually translate into you winning as opposed to what types of games don't, that's going to matter a lot for your London Mulligans. That's going to matter a lot for what you do or do not commit into a counterspell. That's going to matter a lot for how much creatures you commit to the board. Um, it uh, Experience is incredibly important, and I know that that is not an answer that will let anybody who's listening to this just go jump and be able to defeat control uh it will take time to understand and i I think that inexperience against a control deck is not very good for winning matches of modern um there are decks that are good against control decks i think the green red deck is excellent against basically every control variant eldrazi tron regular tron is good dredge is usually quite quite good so if you're playing a deck that you th- and you keep losing to control over and over again, it is, you know, it is possible that you just don't have a good matchup. And there are ways to make the matchups better. Uh, but, but that is, you know, part of the inherent nature of the control deck is that they're able to choose decks to target for metagames. And sometimes you're poorly positioned against them and you can switch decks. So I, I don't know if the listeners will hear this. I think there's an ice cream truck behind Everett. <laughs> Oh, I can't hear it because I have my uh, headset. Yeah, there is one that comes here like every night around this time. My partner oh. usually goes and, and gets some. Oh, man, give me a dilly bar. <laughs> give, me give me one of those cartoon. SpongeBob ones. Yeah, I want, the, I want, I want a cartoon cartoon character with gumball eyes. <laughs> she, 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 she gets those sometimes. I, I'm i kind of weird. I don't like ice cream very often. I'll sometimes be in the mood for it, but just like sugar in general, I'm not usually. All right, that wraps up this week's show. It. Okay. That was, that was just my plan to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I experience is. <laughs> it's like Zelda music. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably going to be there for. A, I'm just a rolling with bit. it. Yeah. Gonna, we got to roll with it. Okay. Okay. So as long as we don't um, get a cease and desist for using someone's yeah, copyright don't, don't material. DMCA us. Um, so one of the issues that I ran into is how can I apply pressure without opening myself up to sweepers? Right, especially because the pressure is also disrupted not only by sweepers but by one for one removal or by like a wall of omens, you know what I mean, or anything like that. Which is like, how do I progress my game plan enough to to put the clock on the opponent, right? And maybe it's just a is it a matter of just keep keep hoping that you draw that you draw into threats and that their sweeper doesn't do enough or like it, it for me it just feels so frustrating because it does feel like you're losing the card advantage game. It, it's different from deck to deck, of course. Um, you know, if you're talking about humans, the best way to play against sweepers is usually trying to Thalia or Metally Mage to where the sweeper never gets cast. Or, you know, commit into the board, get their life total low enough that they have to cast a sweeper, and then you can uh, Mantis Rider to kill them. Um, for for other decks, it can... For, for burn... If you, it's probably a matter of just only committing one threat at a time. And burn is a deck that I think the very best burn players will play incredibly patiently 
and they will just wait until their hand is full of full of burn spells and just overload the blue player's mana because their counter spells cost you know two to four mana their burn spells cost one to two mana and you can just resolve some and if your opponent's not able to do anything and they can't tap out because you're going to burn them so it, it really just is different from deck to deck which is why i want to emphasize that experience and not being afraid to lose and try to go into every match against a control player and try to learn and try to figure out what you could have done differently and think of different game plans, think about different mulligans, think about different cards, different decks you can pick up. Um, and I, I think that that is basically the only thing that's going to translate into real success or real lasting success. Or just cast boil. That's also an option. Stan, this makes me just think about our episode uh, 73 about like how do i know if i'm winning like creating advantage and understanding advantage in magic and it's like like you're saying spike is it's you have to understand how to create advantage with your deck and how you lose advantage with your deck and then also how the control player is seeking to do the same thing against you and so i think that is that's a good lesson is just remember that it's about understanding how you press your advantage and how to not you know how to not lose it when you're ahead so maybe I should go listen to that episode again. Another big thing is like knowing what variants of control you're playing against and what cards they play and knowing how many of various cards they play. Does this deck play Path Dexile? Does it play Fatal Push? Does it play Force of Negation? And, you know, being able to see just a few cards of, out of their deck and probably figuring out what most of their deck looks like just from those few cards. And that just, again, I think translate to getting that experience. Cool. So ever you know sit back relax because for for a minute now i kind of want to like gush about one of your recent decks and, and really paint a picture for the listeners who maybe aren't keeping up with modern challenge results or, or your twitter or stream a couple weeks ago you finished 17th place in a modern challenge running a deck that at first glance looked a lot like blue moon aka blue red control uh, and, you know, maybe we can post the, the link to this deck in the show notes of this episode, too, so people can check it out as well. Uh, and at first glance, you know, you got your four Snapcaster Mage, fine, couple of Narset, sure, your spell suite, pretty standard, nothing out of the blue. You weren't running any unexpected results, which is always a weird deck card to see. Uh, but then, when you take a look at the mana base it starts to paint a picture that there's something different going on here. Okay. And for people who aren't, you know, familiar with blue moon, haven't played against with or against it, the mana base in these blue moon strategies is very simple in my opinion. And, and ultimately they're designed to be able to cast both blood moon and cryptic command essentially in the same games or, or archmage's charm for that matter. Um, so as a result, like you'll often have like your play sets of scalding tarn, maybe you'll have some other blue fetches uh, but you have, you know, a ton of islands, some mystic sanctuaries and some steam vents and that's it. And, you know, in my experience, oftentimes, like if I'm playing blue moon, you turn one, fetch a steam vent afterwards, you're just trying to get as many islands as possible beyond that. In some games or no, that doesn't matter. Now, when we look at Everett, your recent blue red deck that came in 17th in the challenge, very different story here. It, in fact, runs no islands or steam vents or mystic sanctuaries. You got to dodge boil. Gotta uh, dodge. It, you really do. You really do in modern right now. 
Yeah, so this one, you've got four Cascade Bluffs. You've got a playset of Temple of Epiphany, which is not a card I usually play in Modern or any Temple for that matter, outside of Ad Nauseum. You've got a Minamo and Oboro, Reflecting Pools, Fiery Islets, so on. So I took a while to set that up, but I got to ask, Everett, what are you doing here, man? Well, I was streaming, and somebody <laughs> in my chat asked me, Hey, I'm uh I like I play Blue Moon. I'm losing to these three color stoke control decks. How can I beat them? And I kind of jokingly said play Boil. And then I asked by chat if we could play Boil in a blue red control deck. And we spent some time to put the mana base together and it works. It uh, and you know what? Not only does this mana base work, but most of the time your mana base comes into play mostly untapped and costs you no life and that not losing like five life a game to your fetches and shocks has felt very notable in fact it's felt like more of a concession to not play with mystic sanctuary than to play without the fetches and shocks um but you know temple of epiphany even has actually <laughs> given me an epiphany and i i think that mana bases like this are potentially underexplored and are probably good when from time to time you know if you have a good reason to play something like this and not only dodging all the boils that exist in modern right now um which admittedly there are probably going to be less now that astrolabe is banned but dodging those boils but also getting to play your own boil felt very very good and i thought a deck like this would be excellent for a premiere event a challenge uh that i played this in and um I, in this challenge, I played against six out of seven snow control decks. I lost to Eldrazi Tron was one. Um, and then I, I beat five snow control decks, and then I lost to Teamer Snow. And what I lost to was there a Magus of the Moon. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I, I signed out my bolts, and they magus me, and I couldn't cast a spell. Um, because I have no islands in my deck. It was kind of a goofy <laughs> representation of what modern has become. How the mighty have fallen. Yeah. One question I've always had in, in playing my own boil, is it as great against the Dryad of Elysian Grove as I think it is? Yes. I do cited it against Titan, and it's very, very sweet. It, it is that good. Worth bringing in. Sounds good. Seems good. Cool. So, you know, in an effort not to talk about, like, a, a meta deck that, you know, is reacting to kind of a, a quote-unquote dead format... I do want to maybe like touch on some of the specific technology that you have here and, and maybe use that as a way to kind of like guide us on some of your tendencies in evaluating control spells. Sure. Um, I, I will say that you can, you can think about it like that. It's not a bad way to think about it. However, I think you pigeonhole yourself when you say, I'm trying to figure out what control deck to play in a certain format. And I know that because I do it all the time. But really, the best attitude to have when you're approaching any format, modern especially, is what cards seem good in the specific metagame. Um, and so I've kind of found that Shark Typhoon has been excellent, excellent, excellent as like your premier control win condition grindy engine, especially because it lets you play mostly at instant speed. I really, really like it. Boil also in this deck is one of those cards, Aethergust. Um, today I was playing with Stoneforge Mystic because I really like it against Green Red, Etron, and Goblins, and I, I liked it a lot today. I was putting swords on shark tokens, and so 
it I, I think that it's a mistake if you're trying to brew successfully to ever say I'm going to build this archetype and I'm going to start from that archetype. I think it is better to look for specific cards and interactions you think are well positioned and then go from there. And that, at least that's how I found success in the past. How do you try to identify that power? Is it like isolated power? Like Shark Typhoon is mm -hmm. just a good card and you know Teferi 3 is just a good card or something like that. Or are you saying like this is a good card right now? And where is the distinction? Like, what what is a card that you can think of, maybe, you know, besides Uro, perhaps, where it's like, this is just a good card, and maybe this is just a good card right now? Uh, I think, uh, like, Boil in this deck, Counterbalance, and that other blue-white control deck are good examples. Karn the Great Crater, and that Mono Green uh, Pioneer deck that we talked about the other time I was on here. And those are cards that are just good right now, you mean? Yeah, I, well, they or at least they're cards that are, are strong, and, you know, you know, every card you want to play with is... It's got to be like a playable magic card, of course. But all of the ones, you know, Counterbalance, Boil, Karn, they're cards that are good in specific metagames, and they're cards that you can build around and attack the metagame from a unique angle and will probably not always be especially well-positioned. And I think especially if you're trying to play these fun blue decks in Modern, if you're trying to play these mid-rangey decks, understanding what is and isn't good in a certain format is the key to success. And to do that... You either need to follow me on twitch.tv slash aspiringspike, or you need to just be playing a ton, a ton of magic yourself and be in the trenches and have a clear understanding of what is working and what's not working. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, when building a control strategy and, and trying to think about A, finding like strong untapped synergies and B, trying to attack maybe the tier one of the metagame, those are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Yes, I, 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 would, I would say so. I think that they go hand in hand and they're very important. And I think there is a delicate balance between metagaming and just playing powerful cards and building a good deck. And I think that in, in my experience, these premier events, these high profile tournaments, these PTQs, challenges to a lesser degree, GPs, People don't like to brew, and you can usually figure out what more so what the metagame looks like than just playing leagues on Magic Online. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that doesn't mean you shouldn't be trying to build these type of decks. And in fact, that's mostly what I do. Uh, but just try to understand, with you know, still try to get a picture of the metagame, understand if you're winning or losing based on what you believe to be the metagame for these premier events. It's it's all very complicated, and it's. It's really hard to talk about because everything in Magic changes so quickly. But I just want to just give kind of those those vague fundamentals of deck building, I guess. For sure. Let's get a little specific. You've mentioned Shark Typhoon a couple times. Is that just here to stay as a control staple? I I think as far as staple goes, it's kind of staple's kind of a funny word, but I think that it is good in control decks that I want to play mostly at instant speed. I think that that is excellent. Um I think that there are some control decks that want to play more to the board with Planeswalkers, and there's some that want to play more at instant speed, there's some that want to play with Uro. Sure. But a lot of these two-color control decks that play Mystic Sanctuary, and I think that the two-color decks are going to be the better Sanctuary decks going forward, uh, I, I've liked playing Shark Typhoon in those shells. Uh, there, there's also control decks that care more about card selection than card qual quantity. Like the, the Miracles deck cares much more about card selection, and that's why I like to play omen of the sea and jace the mind sculptor instead of cards like shark typhoon frantic inventory it's so hard to call cards staples now too like i mean just a few years ago 
you would say something like search for us Kanta <laughs> yeah is like a control deck staple right and and now it, I don't think it sniffs much play when we have other cards like you mentioned uh, that seem to have replaced it yeah I think three mana Teferi and Narset like just you cast your Kanta they play their Teferi they bounce your Kanta you lose the game yeah it's just not really very viable that's goes back a little bit to what I was saying where if you're playing these fun blue decks you have to have the right tool for the job and so i i'm not going to put shark typhoon in every blue deck i play mm -hmm. but i do think it goes in a very specific type of deck and i think it is an excellent role player and i think that it's it's i i'm really really liking it it's also a two card combo with logic knot you play your shark typhoon and then you logic knot for 20 in the very late game and you make a 2020 shark it's it's pretty close to splinter twin yeah, you, you, I've seen you play more Shark Typhoons as an enchantment than I think people would expect. Yeah, it, it happens way more often than I expected and way more often than you probably expect to, but it makes sense in a control deck where you're grinding out to the late game and your opponent's low on resources and you cast Shark Typhoon, which is very, very powerful when it's in play. It outgrinds basically anything. I outgrinded three Worm Coil engines with it yesterday. Um, it is... And, and the fact that you don't have to cast it is kind of, you know, it's, you cycle it most of the time. It's very flexible. Its floor is cycling it for two mana, which is a pretty high floor. As soon as you're getting at least a 1-1 one, one shark, it's getting value. The card is incredibly flexible, and I've been, I've been super happy with it. One of the things that jumped out to me is that you have just one Shadow of Doubt in this, in this blue-red deck, and... Well, there's Athena in the background, isn't there? Yeah, she's, uh, she's trying to get some attention. Hey, Athena. You know, I, I don't want to go in too deep on Shadow of Doubt. I'm just really curious here. Like, I always read that as a card that you kind of either want to be all in on because it's so good against, like, Titan or Fetchlands, or you kind of just ditch it entirely because it can be such a dog in, like, a lot of other matchups. What was your justification for just running this the one of? Um, my main thought process is, one, I thought it was okay in the format. Like, it was okay against the three-color control decks it's like good against Titan and it's good against goblins. And the first one is really never going to be that bad to draw. Uh, but as soon as you draw two, especially in a matchup where it's not that relevant, it's pretty bad. But the first one is never going to be that bad to draw. Um, and I, 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 I'm not so high on the card right now that I want to be playing really any more than one. Um, and I, I think it's a good way to evaluate your, your one ofs. If, you know, if the first one is usually going to be good to draw, then it's probably worth playing, but I, I think I think that uh, I would never want to draw two, so I only like playing the the first copy. Well, not not never, but usually not. I'm I'm gonna cash in my uh, my Twitch points to give Athena a treat right <laughs> I think, now. I think I have one right here. It's probably what she wants. <laughs> She's usually pretty good when I'm on the computer. Dogs need treats, man. They do. But she, I, I, my, I, I gave her like a pretty big stick before the stream started to hopefully keep her attention. <laughs> what? A, so I think a card that seems like it can be more or less powerful is Narset right now. Um, and and what do you think about the relevance of the static right now? I thought it was really good when Astrolabe was legal, and I don't think it's as good anymore. Uh, but it's good against Astrolabe and Uro. And Jace the Mind Sculptor. And so I, I played this deck thinking that I would play against mostly snow control decks in this challenge. I was right. I played against it six out of seven rounds. And Narset is excellent against them. And 
I didn't really feel like my matchup was even that great without main deck Narsets. Um, I had some in the sideboard, but I just wanted to main deck her. I don't think I'd recommend currently main decking Narset, but if Uro is really popular again, I think Narset is a good way to attack that. What are some cards that you're kind of down on right now? So we're t we talked a little bit about cards that are powerful that you think are worth building around for control aficionados. What are cards that you think aren't worth building around or cards that you want to, or, car, or or cards that we haven't mentioned that you think are are powerful inclusions in control decks. Uh, Blood Moon, I think, is probably the biggest one. I think the the Blood Moon and the Blue Moon decks, I think, is probably not worth playing anymore. Um, the it's so awkward that Blood Moon stops your Mystic Sanctuaries from working. Mystic Sanctuary is one of the biggest draws to these blue control decks, and, I, and even with I know that Astrolabe being gone makes people think that blood moon is going to be back in the menu for these blue control decks but it, it makes your it makes your um archmage's charms and your and your mystic sanctuary is pretty awkward and those are two of the best control cards in the format at the moment and i i uh i think that i'm, I'm pretty off of blood moon and blue moon i think that it's just not just not where you want to be i've been seeing it appear in like mostly sideboards these days like even timu or when Pensword, you know comes out of retirement mm. for a week like both both of those dudes typically just playing blood moon in the side i still want to call it a blue moon deck yeah. just because old habits die hard of course i i don't know i i i i honestly think that ashiok is a lot of times a better choice not all the time but for oftentimes sure. a better choice than than blood moon is is in the sideboard because yeah. it's not shutting off your your own cards yeah, and also just like from playing Ponza and seeing, you know, how impactful Blood Moon on turn two versus turn three yes. can be. I, yes. I think there's also a lot to be said there just because like, uh, you know, when you're playing against Blue Moon, I think it's actually a lot easier to play around Blood Moon. The um, difference between turn three is the mid game, I think, for a lot of matchups. Um, turn two is still the early game. So, yeah, a huge difference. You know, in terms of some notable excludes from, from your Blue Moon shell of late, last time you were on the show, you we were talking about um, your counterbalance deck because at the time companions were, you know, legal, so to speak. And and back then you said that you were expecting blue-white counterbalance miracles to kind of stay good even after companions left the format. We all kind of saw the writing on the wall, I guess. Have you not found that to be true about Counterbalance? I I have found it to be true. I've played it a few times. I I still have felt the deck is powerful. Has some really really crazy draws, in you know independent of what the metagame looks like. And I I think that is certainly one to keep in your back pocket. I don't think it's great right now because Counterbalance is not good against Etron and Goblins, which I perceive to be two of the top decks. And I think that Counterbalance is just not the right card to be playing right now but i think that with a small format shift i will jump right back on it and i think it's definitely one to keep your eyes on yeah for sure and i think even even with the meta right now i play i played it yesterday and i thought the deck was still good i gotta ask you know hot new tech is frantic inventory zach allen seems to be a fan of it in blue white have you had a chance to play with it and do you think it's modern power level i have played with it um i have seen zach allen's lists I do like the card. I think the card is very powerful. But in specifically Miracles, 
I think you care so much about card selection that I just can't justify playing it over Omen of the Sea. Um, especially, you know, drawing two cards if your Miracles is the second card down, it's so awkward. Omen of the Sea setting up those Miracles, setting up that counterbalance t trigger is is such a big deal that I I am, I think that Frantic Inventory can be good in a blue-white, blue-black, blue-red control deck just that cares more about card quantity and plays a more traditional game plan. Specifically with the Terminus Counterbalance game plan, I don't think that's the card for the job. But I do think it is a good card, and I have liked it in some control shells. Yeah, for sure. You know, zooming out a little bit on, on the format at large and, and really taking into account the fact that Astrolabe's banned and modern, though not a big shakeup, like it gets to explore what's possible nowadays. Do you feel like in the early stages of a format, whether it's a new set coming out or a ban causing a shakeup, does that maybe make control a poor deck choice because you maybe have less information about what to respond to and, and how to build a control deck that maybe uh, responds to certain specific metagame forces? Yes. And uh, I think that's absolutely true. It hasn't stopped me from still playing with them the last couple days because I'm just still interested in like finding the, the next best Mystic Sanctuary shell. But it is why today I wanted to play Stoneforge Mystic instead of a card like Counterbalance. You know, mm -hmm. Stoneforge just playing the threat instead, uh, I think feels good right now until the format gets a little more shaped out. You know, just before we kind of like put a note, put a pin in this control talk, you know, I want to bring it back to Pioneer as well. And maybe you even touched on this a little bit and kind of something you said about Breach, but why do you think Control hasn't been able to keep some of the big combo decks in check in Pioneer? Is it because the, the three pillars just operate so differently from one another? Or does it speak to maybe even like the tools that Control has available to them in the format? Um, I think that blue-white control is very good against Heliod combo. I think that it is close to even against Inverter combo. I, you know, it's been a, a while since I've played the matchup, but I've played both sides, and I feel like it, the, the matchup is very close. However, the Lotus Field combo is abysmal. Uh, they, you have, the, so many of their cards are effectively a must-counter. Most of your counter spells cost three mana or two, three mana. Um... And specifically, Underworld Breach being two mana and a must-counter card, they're just so easily able to force you to counter their Pour Over the Pages, their uh, Fae of Wishes. You, ha you have to counter the Wish Spell every single time because it can get Thought Distortion. And sometimes they just side in Thought Distortion and you can almost never win. Um, so, so those counter spells that you need to have in your sideboard to be able to be Inverter are just not very good against Lotus Breach. And... If you your cyborg is, is in my opinion a little too taxed if you play a ton of damping spheres and counter spells and and then you are opening yourself up to all these aggro decks that also exist in pioneer that are trying to race inverter um and i think that the blue white decks are just stretched too thin to really be dominant and you know the other reality is inverter is the best control deck in pioneer mm -hmm. but if you're talking about specifically blue white i think that's why they're not able to contend right now yeah, something I gripe about a lot on the show is that the the counter spells in Pioneer just kind of stink compared to what I'm used to in Modern. And yeah, like... I, I and I, I agree. I think the combo decks are incredibly efficient, and the the interaction for it is just not there. Yeah, especially Inverter that interacts with the game of Magic in a way that is so atypical. You know, Twin was 
I you know lots of people hated playing against Twin, but I think most of the, most non-linear decks played against Twin, and at least in my view, were fun because you could kill their Pestermite, you could kill their Deceiver Exarch. Inverter doesn't care about how much removal you have. It just you know it's it's super super weird interaction. It's very atypical and it makes you play very unintuitive and very focused magic against it, or you lose. Yeah, I'd agree. What what do you think it is about is it just like a oh my gosh, let me rephrase this here. So do you think control just relies on having a density of meaningfully powerful and contextually powerful cards more than other linear strategies do, or perhaps more than like a mid-range style deck does? Because I feel like you could make the same argument for mid-range, right? Which is like, we have enough efficient removal, we have enough well-costed threats, and perhaps cards that can take over the game by themselves uh, towards the end game, that my mid-range deck is going to be good. Is that argument something that you could apply to control or is it slightly different like do you need more efficient answers do you need more efficient counter magic so you can play at instant speed do you need better flash creatures like what's what's the key component here it would varies from format to format varies from deck to deck varies from week to week even uh but the 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 i think that you feel it more in control decks that the deck is bad um or the deck is poorly positioned because it's usually relying on one specific win condition, one specific angle of attack that needs to be well positioned in the format. So that that's usually when you see control decks being dominant, when Uro is just well positioned because nobody can kill it, it just comes back and outgrinds the game, when counterbalance is so good against the Luris decks, when Boyle is good against the Mystic Sanctuary decks, that's when the control decks really shine. And if your big payoff, if your reason for stalling the game to to win is not well positioned, you're gonna feel it more so than your mid-range deck where everything's a threat and everything, you know, you know, you, you play more threats, you play more cards that you think are well positioned. And it's not that you can't win matches with these control decks, even if what you're doing isn't well positioned, and it's not that you can't find success. But the better players, the players that are on your skill level. They're just going to play better position decks and they're going to beat you. And so you play in these high-level tournaments, you're going to find yourself losing with your control decks. I should know better than <laughs> better than most people. Control is definitely my favorite deck to lose with. Yes. I, I heard, I think uh, Jeff Hoogland said it, that people love control because they get to win for longer and, and they hate playing against control because they have to lose for longer. Yeah. Yeah, they have to spend 15 minutes hoping to top deck perfectly. And I think that's very true. I mean, we always love expounding on the wise words of Jeff Hoogland on our show. Won't be the last time. I think that wraps up our control talk for the day because we did get some awesome questions in our Slack uh, for you and, and really about some of the news this week. So we're going to take another very quick break. And when we return, we're going to wind down with some listener cues. So stay with us. All right, we're back. 
And as we mentioned, we have some awesome listener questions from the Dive Down Nation in our super secret Slack server. And let's start this off this week. Craig, a mainstay in the Slack, asks, and I, I, I will preface this question with, I, I do not verify or discount this statement. Wizards has on more than one occasion admitted to selectively publishing Magic Online League data in a way that promotes interesting decks at the expense of accurately portraying a format's metagame. Should results aggregators like Goldfish and MTG, MTG Top 8 just not use those, use those data when reporting on meta shares in each format and only pub- publish league results as a fun curiosity? So I think what Craig's getting at here is, do these aggregators, should they really s- split off things like leagues because they're not a true representation of the meta and instead focus more greatly or at least allow a filter of some kind to like look just at tournament type things? That is a good question. It's certainly a very nuanced one. Uh, I think, you know, from my understanding, Wizards publishes at least one deck from every archetype. And I don't, and they haven't been super clear in what they, you know, view as an archetype, but one per per league published posting. So I, I don't think that MTG Goldfish, MTG Top 8 should just stop using league results because people are interested in them. I think yeah. that players should just take league results with a grain of salt and an understanding of what this data actually represents. And if you're trying to understand what these premier events like really look like, uh, look at the top eight results from the actual tournaments, the challenges, the PTQs, GPs, if those ever happen uh, again, um, that that's where you should be looking more so. But leagues are certainly a valuable way to find interesting brews, interesting tech, things that people are, are not doing. Yeah, I'd agree, right? Like, we typically look at the top 32 because that's what we get. You know, of course, it's easy to focus on the top eight. And then in larger tournaments, you know, even down to the top 32 could be on maybe one win away or on breakers, you know, things like that. So depending on the size of the sample, like if we're getting 64-person Magic Online events and the top 32 is not quite as meaningful, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. Moving on... um... Jason, aka Kilgore Trout, asks, "Do you ever get MTG nerves? And if yes, how do you get over them? And if no, why do you think that is?" Um, I, I used to get them much worse than I do now. Um, I remember I my first GP ever. I played against Eric Froelich, and my hands were shaking so bad I dropped my deck, <laughs> and I got a warning. Wow. Um, I did win. I, sick brag i guess um but i have found that in like the last five years i do get nerves in between rounds uh but when i'm actually sitting and playing the game i am just having the time of my life no matter if i'm on camera or i'm playing for a ton of money i am usually very calm and cool i don't really know why that is except maybe anxiety is easier to get over if you're focused on something and if you're doing something you enjoy um, uh, my friend Zach Elsick uh, told me he used to get a bunch of MTG nerves and he just absolutely crushed them by playing Super Smash Bros competitively and he just can't feel anything when he plays <laughs> MTG so maybe getting into the Smash Bros scene is a good way to to crush those nerves and I think my nerves have gotten crushed too like I, you know, I've lost matches for thousands of dollars you know I've lost matches that mean a lot to me so it's just 
the the more and more that happens, the less and less you feel it, and you know maybe it never gets easier. You just get better at dealing with it. So, this is kind of a combo question. Both Jason and Joe asked about um, if you play MTG Arena. Um, I did a lot for the PT uh, that I played recently. I don't right now. And I, it's not that I have like this bit, it's not like I really prefer Magic Online to Arena. I, I do prefer the layout, I guess, and I like that I can play every format on Magic Online. Um, but I would play Standard and I would play Arena if I didn't have to maintain a separate collection. It just really yeah. isn't feasible for me to grind an Arena collection and an MTGO collection. And I've said this for a, a long time on my stream that it is bad for Magic that we have two online clients it, that is a bad thing i think wizards knows it um but i i think that arena does a great thing for magic is is in that it, it gets people into the game i think that's always been the hardest part of magic to, yeah. to, to succeed is it's a very high barrier of entry it's hard to learn it's perceived as nerdy you have to go to these dusty sweaty game shops a lot of the time to learn it the, the target audience has like historically been small and arena has done a great thing of getting just exploding who plays magic. I think that is a great thing. I think arena has a problems with getting arena players to transition into enfranchised players who play on a higher competitive level and who play older formats. I think if arena contained all the formats, it would be an excellent tool for doing so. And I hope that that's where wizards is trying to take the client. Um, that, that's that's my take on arena yeah. and everything and all, all i want is for magic to be the best game it can possibly be you know so yeah. so is there something specific that might draw you more to arena like let's say mtgo and arena continue to coexist do you think maybe a revitalized economy a, a way to transfer cards from one platform to the other or more formats maybe even something else like is, is there any kind of golden ticket that you think could be your your path to becoming a primarily arena player for me specifically. And I know this is not indicative of most magic players. All I care about is playing the formats of magic. I am interested in playing and that I think are fun and dynamic and where I can enjoy myself. If that is ever standard or historic, I will play out arena. Um, any economic reform is really not going to impact the decision. All I really care about is playing the magic I want to play. And it, it, could, it could be standard. Um, I did not dislike the standard prior to M21. I actually enjoyed it. Um, I haven't played a game since the PT because I haven't really had a good reason to, but well, maybe one day. Why, why did you play it on Arena when you could play it on MTGO? Uh, to, mostly to learn the clients. Um, oh, sure. Uh, I was not, and I'm glad I did. It, there was a lot about it I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of. Um, a lot of like the interface and everything, but that, that was mostly the reason. Yeah. But also, arenas is fun to play. I there's you know, the auto tapper. The auto tapper is nice. The animations don't really do anything for me, and I do have gripes about the interface. But I like arena. Arena's fine. I love how much work I get done just by hitting the space bar. <laughs> space bar is bay. You you had touched on some of the cards that you like have been considering maybe okay to unban, but Sean asked. And I think this is a slightly different question. If there's anything that you actually want to see unbanned. Um, actively want uh, probably Zer Zerta and Luris and Legacy. I feel like 
my boys. They really got a bad treatment. They got banned with the old companion role, and then they nerfed companions, and they're both probably fine. Like, maybe Lurus and Storm is too good, and maybe that's my Legacy of Storm bias talking, because I would play Lurus, uh, even with the companion nerf. Uh, but I, I feel like at least Zerda's got to come off the ban list, you know? I mean, if, if Garuda's still legal, Zerda should be legal, but whatever. Um... I, I think that maybe you could ban, unban a artifact card. Um, yeah, you could maybe unban Mox Opal or the Artifact Lands or KCI, and definitely not any combination of those in modern, yeah. But I don't know. That, that's basically it. I think for the most part, for the most part, a card should only come off the ban list if it is going to improve the play patterns of a format, you know? I think it is always a horrible thing if something comes off the ban list and then it gets rebanned. I, I, I know it's. I'm sure it's happened more than just Golgari Grave Troll, but specifically in modern, I think they've done a really good job about unbanning things and them being very safe to unban when they happen. The Thopter Sword combo, Bitter Blossom, Ancestral Visions, uh, Stoneforge Mystic, Bloodbraid Elf, um, and I, I think that even though Mox Opal or the Artifact Lands or KCI could probably come off. It probably is also not for the best for it to happen just because if if the, if they do end up being too good or too warping it's just such a devastating blow to the health of the format this is one that got posted last week to one of our episode and it was from jack i thought it would be fun to run by you because you also play legacy do you think the one mana tutors like enlightened worldly vampiric mystical uh could be safe in modern or is like a one mana instant tutor just typically way too good? I would perceive all of those cards to be too good. Maybe if Gristlebrand was bad or banned, you could play Worldly Tutor. But even with the card disadvantage, there are decks that don't care very much about card disadvantage. They care about card selection and quantity and getting their combos together. And those decks would play those cards, and those cards would be, I think, too good in those decks. You can Mystical Tutor for Temporal Mastery and just take an extra turn. <laughs> It's a bummer for all the people who got judge promos this year, which were the tutors. Just I didn't know that. I bet they look really cool. Yeah, they're they're not bad. All right. Thanks for the great questions, Dive Down Nation. Thank you, Everett, of course, for your time and, and kind of sharing your opinions and really knowledge with us. Always love having you on, but we would absolutely be remiss if we didn't give you a chance to tell the people where to find you, if there's anyone out there who doesn't know you still. Yeah, what's your schedule? Where do you stream? How can people interact with you if they want to? Well, you can mostly find me on the Dive Down podcast. That's where I spend most of my time. I'd recommend uh, uh, spending all your money there. But when I'm not there, I'm often on twitch.tv slash aspiringspike from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, Monday through Friday. And then I usually play one tournament, sometimes two, on the weekends. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, also aspiringspike. Um, I'm kind of moving away from YouTube. I've kind of felt like I was going through the motions on that. So until I figure out what I want to do with YouTube, probably don't expect any content on there for the time being. It's a lot of work to make those, make those videos, right? Yeah. I feel like I was just doing it cause that was like the formula for being a successful Twitch streamer, but I feel like it was, it's really not rewarding. And I feel like it's, it was just not where I wanted the quality of content to be. So that is kind of. I guess construction is being done on that. 
and that that's it very thorough easy yeah i just come on here because i enjoyed talking to you guys and you we could skip the spike promo zone anytime you want to as i mean i'm the fourth the fourth host apparently you know <laughs> yeah you get like the honorary diploma with like a different color graduation robe <laughs> yeah thanks again for being on it's a it's a fun episode i'm sure dave's gonna be upset that he he missed band yeah. talk but he had a family vacation planned getting out in the middle of nowhere isolating uh in the in the the, the sunshine re- the state up, yeah the upper reach the, the sunshine state yes but uh yeah thanks again yeah awesome thanks for having me all right that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out of course subscribe to Everett's stream throw him a follow follow his twitter we endorse it all come say mean comments to me in my chat and then leave <laughs> yeah you typically have such a nice chat <laughs> i do i do if you use apple podcasts please consider leaving us a rating and review for the dive down if you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon and find that over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Of course, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. I think there's a week or two left in the modern tournament that they're doing, the empty modern league. Spike, I feel like I've seen you in there. I, have, you've qualified for the second round? Yeah. Cool. I did. 10 or 7-3, but only had to play 10 matches. Man, jealous. I, I, I'm trying to get it in under 20. I'm I have like three matches left. It's so brutal. Like it's, it's one step forward, two steps back. Every loss is just like such a setback. There's a ton of green red in there. So play something that's good against green red. What's good? Quick, quick take. What's good against green red? Uh, My soul herder deck is what I played. And I think it's very good against green red. It's what I played in the, uh, the uh, showcase challenge this last weekend. Okay. Good to know. Check it out. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and please save Pioneer!